Welcome to Straight for the Muzzle, folks, where we are anything but straight. My name is Space. And I'm Sparrow. And we welcome to our episode, which is about what today? Today is a really cool episode that is all about lackadaisy. And we actually have two guests speaking with us today. Would you want to go ahead and introduce yourselves? No. No? <laughs> oh, fine. It's not over. <laughs> it's totally fine. Tracy, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself first, and then we'll introduce Fable after you. Sure. Hi, I'm Tracy Butler. I am the creator of the print and webcomic Lackadaisy. I've been doing that for too long now. I think it's 15 or 14 years. Whoa. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I'm internet old. And just over the past three years, I've been working on a animated pilot for it that was Kickstartered. And yeah, we've just released it and it's up on YouTube and we're excited about it and have lots of plans for the future. And that's about it. That's my deal. It's, well, uh, dang, that goes all the questions. Yeah. Ask it. <laughs> yeah, okay, can I go? <laughs> Quickest episode ever. <laughs> I'll just step out. <laughs> and Fable. Hello, my name is Fable Siegel. I am former DeviantArt Wolfaboo legend and currently live on Isla Nublar and I herd cats for a living. Oh, I'm sorry, did you say art. you heard cats for a living? Yeah, yes. cat herder. Yeah, Not hurt, but herd. But also, is that is that an actual I thing? I also hurt cats yeah, <laughs> I mean, for a living. We throw Rocky down several hills. Oh, and- the beautiful, just deliciousness of smashing that boy's face to the ground over and over and over again. He's not a real cat, just to be clear. <laughs> <He's> a- <laughs> yes, fictional- the more you think of him as just like a guy and less like a cat, the easier it is to do this. I just want to let you know that I did actually Google it. Yeah, Apologies to your listeners for uh, what will be bird noises in the background. I'm surrounded by dinosaurs, in fact, and they will not shut up. So you're going to have to deal with it. So sorry. They can't stop. They won't stop. They will not stop. I have no way of making them shut up outside of them not existing anymore. And you know what? That's just going to be a you problem, not a mine problem. <laughs> so We fully welcome it. So it's yeah. all The good. true stamp of yeah. bird ownership. Your problem, not mine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So can you guys just give a quick synopsis on what Lackadaisy is about so our audience has a base to go off of, just in case they haven't been familiar with it? Ooh. Fancy sure. It's about a gang of ne'er-do-wells who are trying to keep a small speakeasy in business and doing a fantastically bad job of it. It's uh, set in 1927 in St. Louis. Of course, prohibition was in full effect, so alcohol trafficking and production and sale of alcohol was by and large outlawed. But that, of course, did not stop people from <laughs> from indulging and, in fact, probably increased the allure of you know, people going to- People don't stop things because you made them illegal? No. <laughs> yeah. Making things illegal, then, if it doesn't stop anything. Yeah, it turns out prohibitions are not that great. It certainly catalyzed a lot of organized crime. So that's the setting of this particular story. And of course, it features all felines who just happen to make for good gangsters, I felt. So so yeah, it's, it's kind of a plucky bunch of underdogs trying to survive in this environment in which they are surrounded by much bigger entities doing the same sort of business. And they're sort of just scraping by. How many characters do you have in the film? Uh, geez, I, I haven't even counted. We have like, let's oh, see, there's one shot where right. we have seven characters on screen. Oh, yeah, once, seven of them at once. Wow. And then there's a fourth one. So there's a, a Rocky, Rocky, Ivy, Ivy Freckle. Freckle. It sounds like I don't know my own movie. Nicodemus, <laughs> Seraphine, uh, Mordecai. So that's six. Mitzi, Wick, Zib, and Victor. That's 10. Sarah John. And hmm? JJ and the JJ, rest of the band. Horatio. Uh, Horatio. And Asa. So that's 13 speaking roles. Not counting wow. Yeah. 
That's a lot. And yeah, yeah, a number of background characters and Mm -hmm. things like that who don't have speaking roles. But uh, Mm -hmm. some of our Kickstarter backers supported us at such a degree that we had to put Mm -hmm. them in the film. So (laughs) we did. Like the guy on stage in the back of the speakeasy? (laughs) Uh, No, that's that's the band. But there are people in the lounge chairs and kind of like Mm -hmm. slung over the... um, It's a combination of patrons and send-ups to people who worked on production and one elderly cat who sadly passed away during production. Oh, yeah. That was my cat, yeah. Luca. Mm-hmm. Fable lost Aww. Nobu during production. I lost Luca, sadly. Yeah, but, but it would have been yeah. harder to fit a chicken in there. So We should have just felinified Nobu at some point, I think. It's fine. <laughs> I, I'm in there. That's feline enough. Yeah. I don't want to overrepresent myself in the movie. It was already re- ridiculous how many credits I had. I actually had to cut out half of my credits. So I was like, this would just look like parody. <laughs> if I actually put everything that I did on this movie in the credits properly. How old were you when you started brainstorming these characters? 24? Oh, well, okay. I mean, it's kind of hard to say because they are actually, several of them came from more like my middle school years where I would just sit in class and draw all day in my school notes and on my, you know, those like paper bag covers you have to make for your school books. Yeah. Uh, you know, out of, like grocery store bags. <laughs> Ever, like, like take, I would just cover those in drawings. You ever take the bus home listening to music? You're like imagining a music video in my head with these. Oh, yes, I did that yeah. all the time. Still do that. Still do that. Yes, and these were Still the characters do. who featured in those things. They didn't really have any context except you know that or you know whatever stream of consciousness thing I was thinking of. You know, if I saw a cool dress or something and I wanted to draw the character wearing the dress or whatever, I just scribble it on my book or in my notes. Or you know, I saw some other cartoon I really liked and wanted to dress them up like that. Or you know, force my characters to cosplay as other characters. Yeah, so they didn't really have any context, but I had those characters going back to probably age 12 or so and kind of just, you know, moved on from there, left school to take a job in game development and did that for a long time and ended up in a art director role there where I was a little bit removed from the more hands-on stuff that I really enjoyed doing. So I started doing the comic at night as my own personal artistic fulfillment and that's when those characters kind of reemerged as like, you know, I got really interested in the local history here and started working on this concept. And then those characters from my childhood just kind of like popped back up and they're like, we're here. Here's where we fit in. So yeah, that's kind of how that happened. But I, I didn't like they were not ever before that, like, you know, rum running, bootlegging, you know, criminal cats. <laughs> I mean, well, they were criminals because cats are just criminals. But yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm going to say. Cats are, cats are pretty evil. <laughs> so, you said your childhood. Did you grow up in, in St. Louis? No, I, I actually grew up in Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fable actually is from New England originally as well. No, I'm from New Hampshire. I was the hat on top of her. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, the little little hat. The Baker's hat. We never no. knew each other back in our hometowns, though. Yeah, so. yeah. I didn't no cross idea. paths until many years later. I moved away from home when I was pretty young still to take that job. I left school. I was studying biology, but didn't want to. I wanted to be in art, and that was a bit of an issue with my family. They were not really on board with that idea, but I got a job offer because I was putting my art online and just the right person saw it. And serendipitously, I got like this offer to go work for a small game studio. And I was like, yeah, I'm taking that train. <laughs> yeah. So I did. And that landed me in St. Louis and been here ever since. Which kind of leads us into our first question. Mm-hmm. I was doing my research on you. I wanted to Oh, find- a creeper. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. Doxing Tracy Butler for shame. I don't have a restraining order <laughs> yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Try harder. I want to kind of know a little bit more about the research that you were doing in this project about the local history of St. Louis. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you were so driven to do that? 
it just seems like something that's so offbeat for someone to be like, I'm going to get into the local history. Because I can tell you right now, I don't give two craps about the local history of the city I that I live in. for a long time. <laughs> People who live here like are not enthused about living here. Nobody's like starry-eyed, like, oh, I live in St. Louis. Oh, my God. I mean, they like the Cardinals and things like that. Oh, my but- stars. And, you know, the rest of the country considers it flyover country at this point. But I have this thing about stuff that has this sort of like pathos in it, it kind of interwoven in it, where it's like this city actually was the fourth biggest city in the country at the turn of the last century, so around 1900. And that's why it ended up having the World's Fair here. They actually oh. yoinked the 1904 Olympics away from Chicago, finagled that out of Chicago's hands and had them here as well that same year. It was a disaster, but, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it was like this, like a lot of promise, like this, you know, gateway to the West, like this shining city on the river. Of course, Chicago won that fight and became <laughs> the much bigger deal in the Midwest than St. Louis has ever been. But yeah, St. Louis was once a very prominent city. It was a major train hub back, I mean, for airplane history, it was like played a major role in that for a long, long time. It was back when TWA still existed. It was the hub for that. And, you know, it used to be relevant. It used to be a very happening place, but it's really fell on our times for many, many reasons. It's really a little hard to go into that. It's just so complex. But a lot of it had to do with the waning relevance of the river as, you know, commerce and the train, you know, and of course, TWA went away, you know, so it's just kind of been on a downhill slope a little bit (laughs) for a lot of the last part of the 20th century and into this one. And that just really fascinated me because there's just a lot of relics and ruins and interesting things that happened, but this sort of like sadness that, oh, well, this could have been something really grand or, you know, what happened here. I think that really fascinated me. But it's also got like very, I mean, not to decry it at all, because it has very lovely corners still and lots of, you know, wonderful things to go and do and visit. Like If you look for those things, you you will find them. You can just kind of sit in your home and be like, yeah, this place sucks, which a lot of people do. <laughs> but you know, you can go out and look for the little gems and things out there. And I just, I don't know, I like and appreciate the challenge of finding what's good about a place and interesting about a place, even if other people kind of write it off. My dad yeah. has this game that he taught me. Well, he taught our family this game a long time ago. He calls it Hidden Beauties. And when you're out and about, you're supposed to look for something that is hidden, that's a gem that no one else would see and then you appreciate it. I kind of feel like that's what you did here. Yeah, just a little bit. It's some diamonds in the rough and, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just so, it's got such a rich history and things. There's no lack of source material to pull from. It did have a lot of gangster history uh, from that era. We, of course, always associate that kind of material with New York and Chicago, but... Every place had this kind of stuff going on in the 1920s. Every religious group, ethnic group, you know, any you can think of was involved in (laughs) bootlegging alcohol and trafficking it and like opening speakeasies and just having their secret fun and also engaging in some violent crime. So it's just kind of... I don't know. I I just feel like maybe it's just one of those smaller stories that no one ever told sort of approach. Whereas like, I don't want to approach it like a big, you know, Godfather-esque epic about Cosa Nostra or anything like that. I just want it to be the small time gangsters who no one ever. People ask you a lot of times, they're like, oh, are they going to be Al Capone? Or they like name some other famous gangster? It's like, no, no, because they're not important enough. And that's kind of the Mm -hmm. point. Yeah. It's like they're under the radar. And like the moment they become on the radar is when they're in the most. It's more of an ode to the little guys who uh, risked it all. Yeah. And, <laughs> and probably lost, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely lost. No one ever heard of them and there's a reason, but that's okay. I have come to pre- like your appreciation of St. Louis. Like I have like I've driven across the country and I've been to a lot of different cities, but I haven't been to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I have been telling Tracy quite frequently that after the production's done, I would like to 
road trip out to see her. And part of it is that I'm just equally fascinated by places less recognized. Like I like, as I put it, dirty cities. Mm-hmm. And that's not an insult. When I mean dirt, I mean I like texture. It's got a patina and character. Yeah. You can tell people live here that they have left an impression that it hasn't been scrubbed away yet. It made mm-hmm. something clean and palatable and like easy to sell. It's just, it retains its own character and its own culture and one that continues to grow and expand that you can appreciate, but which unfortunately is so often regarded as like the detritus of said city. So when people like, I live in Los Angeles right now and as no end of criticisms towards Los Angeles, plenty is worthy, but I actually really like the people out here. I like a lot of the folks that I work with are really interesting people who are from here. You know, the folks who they've been here for like generations and and the culture that grew up around them and, and just the food and just pockets and spaces that are just not where tourists go. And I love that stuff. I love it. And I love New Orleans. I love just how fucking messy New Orleans is. I picture the city in the same way as I picture my family from New Orleans. It's just kind of a hot mess and all the more of a gem for it, basically. I love a good hot mess. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, that I makes it. for good storytelling. That's what yeah, compelling does. stories are. Yeah. Like, who wants to tell a story about a happy, perfect place? There, yeah. There are no such places. But I grew up in a very dull suburban corner of New Hampshire. It wasn't even the interesting part of New Hampshire. It was like on the edge of the places that were interesting. Yeah, same. On the edge of Boston. I was in Western Massachusetts and it just yeah. was not the interesting part of Massachusetts by anyone's, you know. Other New Hampshire's call uh, Nashua the Flatlands for a reason. Mm. <laughs> so it wasn't like a really intriguing place to live. But when I left home, it started to detour into my thing. When I left home and I was uh, living in Los Angeles for a while and I wanted to start you know, writing my own stories, I was thinking about how it might be a good exercise to start writing about my home state simply because I hadn't really thought about it very much. It was just a place I escaped from. But once I stopped, I was like, I'm going to write something about this. Then I, you know, I fall in love with a region that I had just kind of written off, even though it was like where I was from. There's something about when you aim to write a story about a people or place where you are determined to research it and understand it inside and out so that whatever you create is going to feel real, like it has a veracity to it, something that you can like sink your teeth into and share with other people, you start to like fall in love with it. And I think that's the strength of being a storyteller is that you can find pretty much any space and make use of what you've experienced in order to tell something compelling, sometimes even if it was something very negative that you've experienced is just one way to process it. So I really appreciate people who can take those less shiny spaces and go, look at this, look at this beautiful gem and appreciate the texture for what it is. I love how you explain that. It kind of reminds me of how I always had different art teachers tell me your setting should be built as if it was a character. Mm -hmm. It's not just there. It has to have that, like what you said, that texture to it, that depth to it. Because if your setting isn't developed in that way, then what can your characters interact with? Nothing. Exactly. So it has to And there's have an that advantage there. to being in spaces where things are not perfect because that creates conflict. It's like you embrace observing the conflict, like the things that are troublesome. And so something is not all good or bad. It's just it has its problems and people have to live with those. And, you know, that makes for just you basically have your plot right there. And now you just write around it. So using St. Louis, I feel like when you're using real places like that, you could go many different directions with it. You can make it extremely accurate or you could say, oh, this takes place in this city, but it's just vaguely based off of it. Mm-hmm. Would you say that in Lackadaisy, especially in the comics, since it's more long form right now compared to the film, would you say that the places and the setting that these characters are interacting with are pretty accurate to the real St. Louis or are you taking some liberties with it? 
you kind of have to take some liberties in a lot of ways because you end up, you know, you have to kind of weigh your priorities and pick your battles and be like, well, you know, I, I could be extremely accurate to this particular thing, but I have to like take a detour to get there with the, you know, the storytelling if I'm going to do it that way. And that just seems a bit too much of a divergence from the story and the flow of things moving forward. So you sometimes will just decide like, okay, I've got to prioritize story over like actual fact here, but I usually will make note of it when I post comic pages and things beneath like what I have decided and why. But I do feature a lot of like actual locations and I do try to remain, you know, close to the spirit of the place as I possibly can. And just, you know, of course, I'm pulling from my own personal experience and then kind of like layering the 1920s aspect of it. And by its nature, it's that's an abstraction. Like I didn't live here in the 20s. I don't know exactly what it was like. It's not a firsthand account, but I'm, you know, I try to do the best I can. But, it, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's also a comic told with talking cats who I'm pretty sure did not populate all of St. Louis at the time. Well, you forgot about the felinification being a bit of, of, a 19- bit of of an inaccuracy, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's nice that it wore off around the same time as the sepia wash mm-hmm. on everything. Yeah, too. that time when like everything went color. Yeah. Before, you know, when when everything was black and white. Yeah. <laughs> they invented the color red mm-hmm. and blue. Yes. Yeah. You can see I gradually introduced those as yes. they were invented in the <laughs> timeline. Yes. Do you have any of like favorite Easter eggs you have in the story, like actual settings you go to on the daily in your own life living in St. Louis? Or well, actually, yeah, the house that Freckle lives in is actually my house. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I think some people may have figured that out. My belief is that Freckle's like interesting yard work spawns from the fact that you have to do it. Yes. I <laughs> I, I sit there and do my yard work. And I'm like, what if there was a character who enjoyed doing this? <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I actually, I do kind of find it a bit cathartic to get outside, you know, away from my computer and, you know, hack away at some kudzu, but... With a machete? Yeah. Yeah. You kind of do need a machete for that stuff. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there's lots of different, like the town of Defiance, which, well, it's an unincorporated township in the area, is actually real. The Bevo Mill with the big windmill looking restaurant that they get at is a real place. The Eads Bridge that Rocky does the poem on at the beginning is there. Uh, And even the Little Daisy Cafe is based on a little storefront that I really liked from down in Lick Leeds Landing in St. Louis. So yeah, it's all kind of Real now stuff. with the popularity of the short, you think that place is going to get flooded? No. How many tourists are going to go to St. Louis I and be like, it. where's the cats and the, and the, and the cave bars? <laughs> no, I really don't. It doesn't stand out as uh, as a particularly like unique storefront. It's kind of like the style of that mid to late 1800s facade of a If they, if they know, figure it out, they're going to be so confused. You're going to have to go there and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the story. I changed yeah. the number on the building too, so it's not, not the same building number, but... <laughs> Yeah, so lots of nods and homages, I guess you would say, to actual St. Louis things. And, cool. uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, in and around the area who have taken note that, oh, I know that place. Like, I've reached out and said how much they appreciate it because it really is a location that doesn't get a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. media attention or acknowledgement of its existence and things. I thought it was really unique. You're talking about where he's reciting the poem. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever recalled a movie that I've watched or an animation that I've watched where they start off with just reciting. Yeah. And it carries all the way through. Did you guys write that poem? or is it pulled from somewhere? Tracy I wrote did. it. <laughs> it's originally in the comic. It's from the comic originally. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's and I cool. said to Tracy, and I was like, we're going to start this with the poem. And you're like, oh, about that i i'm pretty sure i wrote it to start with the poem and then later regretted it so yeah and i was like look if this puts them off they're not gonna like lackadaisy because this is extremely rocky so you might as well put them off fast 
Yeah, yeah, I ultimately agreed with you, but we were at times we're Mm -hmm. contemplating cutting it a lot shorter because we know that when you're promising, you know, gangster car chases and shootouts and things, and you open with a long poem in animation, it's like people are going to be like, what in the hell is this? Like, bye. And it's also not a like, I guess, especially easily parsed poem. It's like, what in the hell is he even talking about? He's talking to the river. What's going on? It is a strange way to open the thing, but I, I feel like it's also a bit of an introduction to like, okay, this is also kind of a strange way to tell a gangster story. Yeah. It is that, but it's not a Coppola film. It's definitely not like a Scorsese style, like sort of gangster story. It just isn't in that same, you know, doesn't chase after that sort of storytelling. Well, it kind of sets the mood too, which Mm -hmm. is really cool. I hope so. I hope so. And I hope it didn't turn too many people off or away from it, but we were looking at the graph in the analytics. I will argue, honestly, (laughs) that if it turns some people away, that was all the better because it's like the people who are left are going to be that much more passionate. You know, we were analyzing the analytics as you do uh, (laughs) on YouTube to see if like there was a big drop off when the poem began in like viewership, Mm -hmm. but it didn't seem to be the case. Nope. Hey, a click is still a click. So yeah, that's, you that's get true. that. <laughs> YouTube does notice that people click away immediately. And so what we noticed in the analytics was that if people clicked away, it was before there was even two words on the screen, which suggests that they clicked it and either they went, it's black, I don't care because it starts off dark. Or they went, oh, it's 27 minutes. I'll watch this later. Or they went, oh, oops, I accidentally clicked that. It didn't mean to. <laughs> Right. But for whoever kept watching, they watched the throughout. Like we can see that most people who stayed past that first sentence stayed throughout the entire thing. And the only drop off that we noticed was once the credits popped up. However, there's more after the credits. There's more after the credits. So if for some reason you didn't watch the credits and didn't watch all the way through, do that. Especially since our motion graphics artist Lolly did an amazing job with the credits and you should totally admire his work. But also we could see the analytics that there is a peak just before the credits, which means that people are rewinding to go watch the credits yeah yeah so uh i found that very interesting and i wanted to have the film reward you if you stuck with it you know if you you know step out at any point and decide not to keep watching fine but if you stay with it you get more information and more information and more questions more importantly because every time a question is answered another one pops up and so the goal was just to inspire your curiosity while you're watching as much as possible so that by the end you're saying who's this who's that what happened i want to check it out and you go and you rewatch it again you go okay i got this this and this but what about that one thing and the the density promotes rewatchability essentially Mm. in the same way as the comic's own density will also promote rereadability like i've reread the comics so many times and i talk to tracy every day and yet i'll sit there and i'll still like reread the comic sometimes and i'll catch another thing i'd be like you just spotted that one thing and then tracy's like "Eh, eh, eh." (laughs) (laughs) were the characters developed before during or after your research kind of all at the same time writing something like this i don't know maybe there are people who do a very like step-by-step methodical approach and they will you know do x amount of research then just invent the characters and then just start writing but it was all kind of a intermingled thing for me where i was doing all of those things kind of you know i would start coming up with these like basic premises like i had established that yes i want this to be in the 20s, I want it to be in a speakeasy and I want it to be in a speakeasy underground in the limestone caves because that is actually also a, a very prominent feature of St. Louis and St. Louis history. It's the fact that the city has just caves all over underneath it. 
I noticed that. I was like, interesting. This is underground. Yeah. <laughs> and there actually is a St. Louis brewery, the Lent Brewery, that made use of those caves. I mean, a lot of the breweries did because that's a good place to lager and, and to store things and to move things, you know, without having to cut through, you know, street traffic and things. They would just build, you know, or use the existing caves underground to move stuff around from one building to another. Interesting. And so it was put to, as you might imagine, extensive use during Prohibition to <laughs> secret away <laughs> alcohol. They'd build beer gardens in them. And the Lemp Brewery had like the, the Lemp family at one point had a theater and uh, a swimming pool and some other things like other facilities, you know, underground and uh, Cherokee Cave, which is kind of beneath their facility. And so that just really inspired me to do that sort of thing. But yeah, it was all kind of a like research and then kind of weave these like I have like, you know, maybe the skeleton of a character. And then you start introducing like these elements that actually are part of their lives and that they're involved in and or that brought them here, things like that. And they start becoming more fleshed out, you know, as you go, as you start fleshing out story details. So it all kind of like takes shape all together so that they, you know, it's, it's a character driven story and they all fit where they are, not just like trying to write a plot and then, you know, slot characters in to carry out the plot. Like they have really been the things that took form and then determined a lot of the course of the story themselves as if they had some agency of their own. You have all these little homunculi running through. It, your it, it is like that. They are brain children <laughs> and I can't control them anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I just tell stories about what I watch yeah. them do in my head, you know, like, okay, <laughs> I can't tell you what to do anymore. You have grown up beyond that, and so I must just record your misadventures. Typically, so yeah, it's telling totally you like how they are. It, it, is, it does way. become like that. Like at some point, there's this like reversal where you are steering them, but then at some point, they take on enough dimension in your head that that you just can't anymore. Like you know what they're going to do. Yeah, you could try to assign them a plot thing yeah. to do, and it's like, but how would they even do that? And it's like, yeah. if it's just out of character, it's out of character. Or if it is out of character, then why would they do that? And right, that interesting thing. <laughs> Yeah. One of the things that, you know, really takes me out of things when I'm watching the show or something is, you know, characters who just suddenly change personality in order to carry out, you know, something that was convenient for the plot. And it's like, oh, that's, Mm -hmm. you know. Because movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really interesting watching React videos, which I've never really been into React videos, but watching React videos of the movie has been fascinating because I don't usually get to see people like watch people watching work that I have done, even though I've done a lot of work in the television industry, like I don't watch the audience, you know, it's, I don't get to go to a theater and see them react. I just have to assume the reaction one way or another, or like see comments here and there. But the react videos have been really interesting for so many reasons. Like now I'm like obsessed with it. I'm like, oh, you have a condition now. This looks so, you know, it seems so full of yourself. You're watching your own movie over and over again and watching people like talk about it. Ooh. But I'm just fascinated by their responses. And I'm always just like, I'm just like giddy if they like grasp something that I was afraid was going to be too difficult to like pick up on, but they do. And it's like ah, accomplishment. And one thing I love is seeing people like there's su- their slow realization as they watch the movie that this guy that they entered the film with this like, weird poet is not all there in the head and you can actually watch them start picking up on the fact that maybe he's not okay and then around the time that he finds the demolitions shed they're like oh he's cuckoo bananas <laughs> he's got the zoom <laughs> That was the best. He's like throwing down the dynamite. (laughs) And then we leave him for a while and then forget about him. And then he shows up again. They're like, oh no. And it's so satisfying to see those reactions because I love seeing people go, oh fuck. 
<laughs> almost oh, no. almost more than that i enjoy seeing people ask questions out loud yeah. like why is he doing that i was like i wonder if there's like something it's like because you're trying with a pilot especially you're really trying to imply a lot of story because you don't have time to delve into the you know backstory of every character or explore yeah. every avenue and i totally understand criticisms that are like this what kind of episode one is this or that's not a short film it's like it's I, not I an episode know. one is, is the answer is it's a pilot one. that's yeah. yeah it's like this is not how i would start an episode one not at all introducing you know a story conflicts mm-hmm. the setting and a lot of the core characters mm-hmm. but also a lot of the story threads that this thing mm-hmm. is you know that make up this thing so we focused on introducing people to the characters kind of like a sampler platter basically that summarizes a lot of the tone and humor and interrelationships inter- like conflicts and that kind of thing and what we wanted was for people to ask questions we're deliberately withholding information and hinting at answers but to beg your curiosity because I think a lot of media nowadays is really reluctant to engage that part of the human experience to make you ask questions without fully resolving it or fully answering everything. Because that's what keeps things interesting is the sometimes the absence of information is where your brain will start filling things in and you get more attached to it. And you're starting to see more interest in that kind of thing in terms of style, at least like visual style, like analog anything like analog horror, where the low resolution, grainy, pixelated look of things allows your imagination to play with what the visuals of a scary monster actually look like. And then it becomes just more frightening because your brain is building that image. You're not being shown it. It's being implied to you. But you can do the same thing with narrative storytelling, where when you leave out information, it invites the audience to ask a question and try to fill it in themselves. And even if they get it not quite right, it's still interesting to see in what ways they got it not quite right. Because often, even if the exact detail that they think maybe it's this isn't quite right, they still got the core concept and the core relationship. And they understood that. So I don't know. I just I love seeing people like their eyes light up. They're like, oh, um, and ask questions, because I think that's just one of the more fascinating parts of humanity. (laughs) So I like it. Oh, definitely. Asking people to think definitely invites further engagement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did Mm -hmm. you see a a bump in engagement on the web comic from people trying to answer those questions themselves by reading? Yes. The the comic (laughs) website (laughs) premiere day and and a couple days after it just kind of decided to lay down and die because it was. Oh, no. It's not like they didn't try. Flooded. It just just exploded so hard that there was, you know, our Jay, the webmaster, bless him, helped me migrate the site over to a new host so that, Mm -hmm. you know, we could have it in a place where it could remain functional Mm -hmm. while, you know, traffic was increased and it was just a more stable place to be. So he kind of put some extra and late night hours into into doing that and extremely grateful for that. And then he pulled a whole thingy out of his butt on April 1st which I was so happy, so oh, yeah. happy we built. That was really We did cool. a mini ARG on April 1st. Yeah. Thanks again, Nick Nocturne, for helping us set this up. It needed the <laughs> website functional to, to work, so... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people have, like, so many people have come together and just given us a helping hand just to make this work. And we are. You needed it most. Yeah. Like, none of these projects like this are done in a vacuum. Like, I kind of hate the way they get associated with one person's name only because that just seems to be all anybody wants to remember is like. I'm so uncomfortable about that that, like, every time I talk about the film, it's like, I feel uncomfortable saying my movie, even though I guess I technically could, because it's like, it's our movie, it's the crew's movie. Like, all of them contributed, and I can see their 
your fingerprints all over it. And I just was like, hey, you know, let's head in this direction, basically. Never mind the massive amounts of support we had around us to just keep people being paid to, you know, balance the books and, Mm -hmm. you know, make sure all of that, like those logistical things were also functioning. The website was Mm -hmm. functioning like the Discord Discord server and the lackadaisy community was all organized and functional Mm -hmm. and not turning, you know, feral or something. Yeah, like it it takes a lot of people and a lot of help and to get all that stuff taken care of while you have your head buried in the art part of things. The the fact that we were like, okay, we think we could handle this degree of response, although it was a shock, but we still had made preparations and all the people who are like helping us out and continuing to help us out because it's garnered enough attention that, you know, people be sniffing around. But I can reach out to my colleagues from my work, from like various studios I was part of, and be like, hey, this is going on. Do you have any advice? Do you have anybody I could talk to? You know, do you know an advocate that I can speak with so that we don't fall into some tragic trap that can happen whenever something gets a little bit too popular too fast? Speaking of that team that was helping you all out, what did your creative team look like for the film project specifically? How did you build that team up? What factors go into deciding who you were working with? Well, once upon a time on DeviantArt, there was a book series called Warrior's Cats. And a bunch of uh, very dedicated teenagers with a lot of free time have been making like tons of just cartoons on YouTube for a series that largely doesn't have many visuals and has uh, no official cartoons of its own. I think just like a couple of comics and things. And I remember when I was in college and seeing like what was just like a bunch of like 12 year olds starting off doing this stuff. I was like, wow. They're really good. I hope I get to work with some of those people someday. And then now I'm 35 and I, <laughs> I managed to hire on some of these kids who are like now in college or later even and be like, hey, you know how to animate cats. Would you like to join the cat movie? We They're put like, out hey. a, uh, <laughs> no. you know, a call for animation reel yeah. submissions and the Warrior Cats people answered that clarion call. Oh, I bet. So. Yeah, yeah. But there was also a lot of like, you know, fable turning to people from the industry that they they know to ask for help and advice. Like all the storyboard artists are basically people you've worked with before Fable. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to Newt because I knew Newt was reliable, a great 3D artist, also was the Lackadaisy community manager. And he just like, you know, did pretty much all of our 3D layout for us and made all of our 3D props. Oh man, Newt is such the core of the production. Like praise be to Newt. Yeah. And we reached out to Spike because we collaborated with Spike because Spike, who is the owner founder of Iron Circus Comics, not Spike 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 Trotman. (laughs) (laughs) Different Spike, but um, equally as cool. Spike just has this like backstory of like raising up her publishing company on crowdfunding from Kickstarter. Like she, yeah, yeah, she'd done these Kickstarter things before. So we knew like we need Kickstarter help if we're going to Kickstarter something and do it right and be a success and then have a way to pay a crew. Like Spike's just going to be essential to that. So, and Mm -hmm. and she was really on board with the idea. So projects like this, when, if they do collapse frequently, it's because of money issues. And I was like, I don't want paying people and, and having the money and like organizing who's holding the money and what etc that to become an issue because uh, right like, like the last thing you need is is somebody who's irresponsible with it or who isn't keep doing proper bookkeeping or who takes the money and absconds mm-hmm. with it or something like all these nightmare things that have happened to Kickstarter projects mm-hmm. before we knew that wasn't going to happen with Spike and so that was you know <laughs> we could go into this yeah. going like we're assured that you know this will be a stable way to run that part of the production process mm-hmm. God you know I never thought about that with the finances and book balancing taxes taxes yeah, yeah. 
I know. Yeah. Ten ninety nines. You think yeah. of these Kickstarter projects that I think, like you said, they don't exist in a vacuum. I feel like a lot of consumers don't think about those things. Also, they think about mm-hmm. the creative process, like oh, there's the animators and the store artists and the voice actors, but there's so much more that goes behind just organizing yes. all mm-hmm. these people. Yes, that's essential staff. Essential. Mm-hmm. Essential. Yeah, the organization and communication aspect of this is like probably 60% of the effort and work and, and worry oh. that goes into this. Like, I mean, and that's no small amount because like the actual animation work is extremely like arduous work. So, yeah. you know, but probably, yeah, I mean, a great deal of, of your time, especially if you're in a role like Fable as a director, you are a, doing a whole lot of communicating and a whole lot of artwork. And so... While exhausted. While exhausted, yes. Yeah. How did Fable get the role of director? So, yeah, that's a funny story. <laughs> um, I, 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 well, I'm a very, very poor person who uh, needed to replace my Cintiq because otherwise I wouldn't be able oh, to Oh, no. Yes. So, so I just got a movie <laughs> saying, hey, who wants a movie? <laughs> yeah, so I'd been, like, you know, kicking around in my head the idea of doing animated lackadaisy stuff for a long, long time. When I first started, you know, working out the idea for the comic, like, I was approaching it as a comic specifically because I couldn't do it as an animation by myself. Like, I needed something to work on in the late night hours after work, and I just decided since this is a solo project like if i was to animate it i'd only be able to do like little tiny snippets of like 3d animation or something and that wouldn't really capture the full story that i really want to tell so i was like well i guess comic is the vehicle i'm going to use for it but when i close my eyes and i think of it and i work out the narrative and you know do the writing that happens in your head like i'm watching an animated film i'm watching the don bluth movies that i grew up on and things like that so you know it looks like that and so i always kind of envisioned it as like well if i could animate it that'd be just amazing and then you know come 20 16, 2017, I started thinking about it more seriously. Um, you know, seeing people start their own indie things and do some really cool stuff on YouTube. And I realized like, okay, the tools are available and there's crowdfunding that you can do at this point in time. Uh, like before, when I started the comic, there was no Kickstarter. It was like, you know, the aughts still, it was like 2006. So, you know, for a long time, there was no Kickstarter or, or Patreon or anything like that to, to do these. Yeah, kinds if of you things. wanted money, you had to go out and, you know, uh, put your hat out and do a little jig. No, the only way you could make money in comics was to put ads on your. It was like mm-hmm. that, like, what was that ad system that all the webcomic artists use? I can't remember. Uh, Project Wonder? Project Wonderful. Yeah, yeah that was Project it. Wonderful. Yeah. Project Runway. Okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, that'd be cool too. But um, <laughs> you could raise Maybe some of that. You better gotten into fashion instead of comics then. Yeah, but. Um, yeah. And then just like out of the blue, I saw Fable say something on, and Fable and I had been traveling in the same artistic circles for a long time, both kind of- We're both old DeviantArt farts. DeviantArt, like garbage raccoons in the dumpster, Uh just kind of like, you know, making stuff. I'm the little- I I do too, honestly. You're the the stray cat. (laughs) Yeah, just uh, fishing out like fish bones from the the garbage in there. fish bones. But yeah, we had since like crawled out of that space and into- other social media spaces as you know that horizon broadened and sadly dispersed but i'm sure anybody from the same primordial ooze has watched the movie and go this fucking deviant art it's like you're right (laughs) (laughs) deviant art all over um but yeah, so I was, you know, following Fable on social, other social media as well, because I had also, you know, spent time reading Black Blood Alliance, and uh, we had crossed paths mm-hmm. at numerous conventions and things. And, and I saw them saying, like, they needed to replace uh, a Cintiq, and they were looking for some animation commissions. And I reached out, I was like, hey, what do you think about, like, making a pitch <laughs> for Lackadaisy, like an animated Lackadaisy thing? And they were did, like... Did you have the screenshot of that first convo somewhere? Did you save that? 
I have it somewhere on my hard drive. I mean, I still have it in my Twitter, like messages from way back. I could just, oh, yeah. Like how, how long I'll, to, I'll have to like get it framed or something. <laughs> but yeah. And, and Fable was like, fuck yes, I do. And so we, yeah, we started on that. And then like you enlisted Ashley Green and mm-hmm. got some help putting a pitch together. And we talked a lot about it and what we would put in it and how we would present the characters and yeah put a little pitch packet together and fable um shout out to ashley green by the way creator writer of monsters garden yeah and also a storyboard artist on the project and Mm -hmm. yeah and my good friend yeah ashley's awesome but uh yeah that kind of resulted in the pitch and Fable had shown it around to some people in the LA area, you know, in the industry to get some advice. And the advice we got was, well, studios are very risk averse. They're going to look at this and go, it's it's cute and cool and all, but uh, we're not going to touch this with a 10 foot pole because it's not like, you know, a family guy or a, you know, (laughs) where can the pop song fit in here? (laughs) Yeah. It's it's like, they just aren't going to take a chance on some unknown thing. I don't know. An adult cartoon that has cute animals in it. Nobody wants that. That's, uh, that's going to confuse people. (laughs) Well, you know, know, you're not, you don't have, you know, if you, if you aren't a celebrity or you aren't already a showrunner of something or you, you aren't like, you know, working your way up within the industry and into some prominent role where you can really pitch something and and have people take you very seriously. You really, I mean, there are certainly people who have done it and you've got to be like profoundly tenacious, I I imagine. Yeah, but like 10 years in the ministry was not enough clout to grant me uh, free reign to- Right, so so. I think Pendleton Ward told you, just go make this yourself. Yeah, I was talking to him after like another rejection and I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure that I could get this made if uh, if I just like did a Kickstarter, we could totally get like a short or pilot done. He was like, if you want to make a cartoon, make a cartoon, don't wait for anybody's permission. And I was like, well, fuck, when Pendleton Ward tells you that, you should probably follow his advice. So, you know, off I went after uh, Midnight Gospel, like he was my show runner then. And God, I, I love that show. That. Yeah, I love working on that. Like, that was fun. That was a really fun job. And while I was working there, like I was still picking away at this pitch thing. And once the job wrapped up, I was able to just dive headlong into this. And that was that, that was a bit difficult on pocketbooks, both my own and Tracy's just trying to float for a while. But I managed to catch the ear of Spike Trotman when I met up with her at Comic Arts LA, which is this tiny tiny comic convention that takes place in a gymnasium and it's just like a bunch of little indie folding tables and folding tables selling their <laughs> sometimes printed from home comics it's very old school like that there's like a lot of really cool people that will show up there like just to peruse and sell because it's, it's really genuine and uh, spike happened to be there and i've been thinking about I, I was trying to brainstorm ways to get in touch with her because like just shooting her an email might have just gotten lost and uh, she was right there so i was able to to just be like hey spike did you know that tracy is a free agent and she basically backflipped because like of course she wanted to talk to tracy butler she you know iron circus comics lackadaisy uh they'd go like just really nice marriage basically but then when i said and we're working on getting a animated cartoon kickstarted would you like to be a part of it and that woman went to the moon <laughs> you've never seen someone's eyes get so big and glisten and mm. like glisten that hard and uh i remember that day i went home after like a lot of conversations with her and calling tracy and i was like in my bedroom i was talking to clint i was like oh oh shit <laughs> oh no I've done it now. And uh, <laughs> thus began the journey. <laughs> that was this short, more yep. or less. Yep. Yeah. This is pre-COVID, by the way. 
Yeah, uh, we did not realize cool. just how blurst this production would become. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Kickstarter launched on that that day in 2020 when everything went into lockdown and the stock market like plummeted, and we were like, "Oh no!" <laughs> uh, so with, it with COVID really peaking when this was really mm-hmm. digging your heels into this, like your team members. I remember I watched a video one of your animators actually posted on YouTube. Yeah, Manu. Yeah. yeah, and mm-hmm. he talked about yeah. how you guys were working through a Discord. And I was like, yep. that's sick. Yeah, Discord oh, was our virtual virtual studio, and yep. it worked out great, actually. That's <laughs> amazing. Like, I've never, I mean, maybe some other animators and different projects have used it like that before, but I haven't seen it. And I'm like, you know what makes sense? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm virtual studio and you don't even have to like wear a headset and have like a really clunky soulless looking avatar <laughs> represent you with no legs <laughs> it turns out you can just be in a voice call or not be in a voice call you know up to you mm-hmm. it's like yeah. i don't know it's like you don't have to like sit there on voice call with me not unless we're trying to go through something specific that requires yeah it. but it, it facilitated yeah. all the things we needed which was being in voice call meetings you know exchanging text messages uh dropping files and swapping you know uh, making screen them sharing screen yeah. sharing and you know so fable could just give live notes to people custom emojis so that we could like uh oh like, yeah react to each other with like goofy <laughs> lackadaisy cat faces yeah and it also gave us a place to goof off too because we shared a whole lot of cat pictures there over the course of production and uh, obviously some dumb memes too but oh my god i did so many dumb doodles at like 1 a.m because i'm like i've lost my mind time to time to draw something <laughs> stupid yeah <laughs> So I have I have zero experience in the art industry professionally, but mm-hmm. with the idea of like Discord being your hub, and it, it seems like you had a really great environment going on here. How would you compare the environment that was happening under Lackadaisy compared to other projects you've worked on? Well, most projects I've worked on when I've been work from home, which you know was a thing that would happen even before COVID, because a lot of us in the animation industry, like we have computers at home that are powerful enough to run software, and sometimes when you're uh, Uh, looking for jobs, like they might not even have office space or care to bring in workers. A lot of freelance jobs like that had in particular required me to work from home. Unless you're Santique Bricks. Yeah. uh, So, (laughs) oh yeah, then you're just screwed. So (laughs) I had a lot of experience... I had a lot of experience with work from home where people would just talk to each other through email chains. And you pretty much would only talk to the director, the production coordinator, and that's about it. And feedback would be few and far between, very stilted. You never got like a really good idea of how people were reacting to your work. And it's just kind of very dull. And uh, whenever I was in studio and doing work, I, I just found that much more dynamic because seeing people react and respond real time to your work and getting that kind of real-time feedback was just way nicer. Like, I've never been, like, you know, terrified or upset by critical feedback. I found it very necessary for getting to the goal, which is basically, you know, does this work for the project? Have I pleased the director, like, gotten to what they wanted? And, you know, I like that environment. I also just like listening to people and hearing their experiences and, you know, just getting out of the house is nice too. But I knew that there was no way we were going to do this project and have like a physical building that's just unrealistic. And so many people that I needed to work with, including Tracy, did not live in the same space as me. So before I did the short, I had been on Hasbun Hotel and had done a few animated scenes from that. And I heard, I hadn't been on it originally, but I had heard that they actually had a Discord server. So I was like, oh, that's that's a cool idea. But I also knew that a number of projects, like multi-animated projects and reanimates, would frequently make use of chat spaces like Discord 
in order to organize their setups. So I decided to put together a production of the All Dogs Go to Heaven reanimate, which you can oh, I love that video. Too. Yeah. Yeah, I did that. And that's, or rather, I arranged that. I didn't do every shot, just a few. And I organized all that on Discord. So that's where I was coordinating everyone and making sure that they had the segments that they needed. And, you know, if they wanted feedback on something, because I was like, I'm just working on this little thing, and they wanted feedback, like I was just there, and I'm giving some feedback, and just generally had a really good time. And I was like, this is a really good way to run a virtual studio, I would like to do something like that again in the future. And occasionally, when I was in other studios, I would, you know, I would also be the one who would like set up a slack or something to allow the crew to talk to each other. And there'd be like a casual slack, not just a whatever the studio set up, if they set up anything at all. Are you talking about like the slack as in like the program? The program slack. Yeah, that's like the, nice. the other version of Discord, basically, with less, yeah. fewer fun emojis. Yep, that had been what I, I worked with on professional like, version game industry job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did occasional work from home, mostly in office, but and, and we'd have our all of our scrum meetings over that, and you mm-hmm. know, do a lot of our exchanges <laughs> mm-hmm. and things that way. So, but I'm a person who has. This is going to sound so bad, but I set up so many like RP forums and stuff once upon a time. <laughs> so I always really liked organizing like community spaces. You're seasoned. Like I'm a seasoned forum administrator. <laughs> Put that on your resume. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I could at this point. And uh, so I wanted to set up the server in a way where it was like there was fun zones and work zones and drop off zones. And it was clear, you know, if we wanted to have a meeting, there would be like rooms basically for it. And the information would be very organized so that, you know, even though there's like a a gajillion channels on our work server, they all serve a purpose. And so that made uh, communication fairly easy, especially because, you know, we'd have people from all over the world working on this. And so somebody is in Europe and they're posting stuff at 3 a.m. As much as I want to get up and give them a note immediately, probably a good idea to leave that until like I had my coffee and, you know, maybe six hours more sleep. And that way I I knew I had to get back to stuff because it would be kind of like the checklist was the chat room essentially. And it was much less difficult to lose track of everything I needed to do because there are 400 shots in this movie. If you miss even one and like something goes awry, oh man, (laughs) you you don't want to lose track of things. It gets bad fast. But yeah, that was interesting to set up and the team really responded to it. And they really enjoyed being able to see the work of everybody else and being able to watch the film come together in front of them. And the VAs in particular were fascinated because usually when they're brought onto projects, you know, they go in, you know, they record lines for an hour and then they get out and then maybe, maybe two years Years later, they get to see their performance on screen if it ever comes out in the first place. So they're very disconnected from production, despite being animation nerds themselves. That's why they get into voice acting largely. And they were just loved watching things come together. And it made them like ever the more attached to those characters because they saw how much effort people put into them. And I think it's important for all aspects of animation to just like communicate together so that the collective direction is understood. And then my job is just to facilitate that. It's not to actually drag everybody by a leash and yoink them into a direction. So what you were seeing is a collective vision of like just so many people, like over 150 people. They could That's so Down awesome. to like a 60, 170, something. I, I've actually lost track of how many people touched this. Yeah, it was like 170 something, I think, that we had. 
total, yeah. 172 or something oh, like that. Wow. Yeah. There yeah. might be some redundant names in there because we're just looking at the raw amount of people that are on the server, sort of. But um, but there, yeah, I mean, yep. yeah, it just takes that many people to make something like this. So Yeah, yeah, it, it's not the, the journey of one person. And I know my name is stamped all over the place, but it, it really, really is a group effort. Like there's you a reason. You have a lot of hats. Mm-hmm. A lot, I wear a lot of hats, but you know, <laughs> a lot of other people wore even more hats collectively than I did. So I think that is to be respected. And I was just trying to keep up, largely. Keep up and support them. Tracy, what was uh, your role like in the creation of the animated shorts specifically? Like, did you have your hands in any storyboarding or animation notes, anything like that? A little bit of everything. Fable and I collaborated on writing the script, then the storyboarded. Did you do any voices as well? <laughs> I forced her to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She did Just one. She did Made one a cameo. Voice. I, I had a beggar for it, but if you uh, watch the prologue, you might recognize the voice at the very beginning. <laughs> or you will now, if you've now been hearing Tracy talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, I got I got quite involved in the uh, character redesign because we had to take all of the characters and basically make them animatable. And the, the comic is a style that doesn't really lend itself entirely to that. So we really had to you know, work out a new way to approach them. And gosh, I was there for all of the revision meetings we did. Those were like some overnight adventures. Yeah, just like taking the storyboards, writing our notes on them, writing acting notes for the characters in there to like make sure the facial expressions are lackadaisy-like and things like that. And a crash course in everything lackadaisy. Yeah, that's difficult. When we did the the voice recording, I was there doing half of the directing on that. So that was an exhausting and amazing experience. That was like three days of like intense voice recording. Then we did a bunch of this, the same thing for the comic dubs as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting all that art prepared for, we promised in the Kickstarter, uh, like mini comic dubs collection, which we would release incrementally during, you know, the course of production. So we kind of like saddled ourselves with some, some extra work, but that's, you know, what it took to get this thing funded. So a lot of that went on during production where I was just working with the editors to get them all the art they needed and, you know, chopped up in ways they needed it. I edited three books together during the course of production and we had to promise an art book to get this funded. So that was a lot of my time in the, the first year mm. was spent on putting that together and, and making all these like contents for that for that book and then doing all the layout and copywriting and everything for that. Not copywriting, but like writing copies. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. And uh, <laughs> Ooh, girls breaking a rule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's copyrighted, but it's also <laughs> it's copy that we that I wrote, <laughs> but doing the, yeah, all the cover art for that, then ended up doing a bunch of background art and little fixes here and there for compositors during the last stretch here but uh yeah i had to put together the a new volume one new volume two we did some pin designs like we had to keep funding this thing as well because although we raised about three hundred thousand dollars and it was less than that when you know you actually get your funds dropped from kickstarter they take their fees and you know you get a lot of pledges that were with cards that expired in between when (laughs) people pledged and when the you know the kickstarter actually put the charge through and you get the stripe fees and all that so what you actually get is more like you know, we we raised three hundred thirty thousand dollars, and we we actually got was I think it was like two eighty nine something oh. like that. I'm gonna sit down and be like, how do I turn this into a movie? 
a lot of the pre-planning and things that went into this, like, uh, yeah, again, one of those things that's probably overlooked about productions like this is you really have to plan out your budget and where your money's going. Mm -hmm. And Fable had to come up with a very detailed budget breakdown for Spike and, you know, make it clear, like, here's what we're spending. Here's, you know, so that Spike Mm -hmm. wasn't going to be ultimately saddled with, you know, thousands and thousands of extra dollars in charges that weren't, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, oops, we forgot to add this in. And, you know. Yeah. Even so, I I still feel like there's ways I could have improved my approach, but so much of it was based on my assumption originally that this was going to be 15, maybe 18 minutes long. And we got pretty ambitious with it. Uh. Well, that's to put it mildly. I, I, I remember going to Spike and I just wanted to throw up and being like, look, we could have this be an 18 minute cut, but it's not going to be good. This needs more breath. Is it okay if we like just extend out the time budget a bit? And you know, it's going to take longer for me to work on this. And I'd I'd like to work on it for free, but I can't afford to like, and I I hate to ask you for my money. It's just like, it's fine. It's fine. Like I believe in this and, you know, make it good. It was essentially what she uh, asked for. And I was like, you know, I I didn't want to betray that faith. And I very much wanted to make something that made the investment worth it. Right. So yeah, what we did was we made more merch <laughs> all yeah. to, uh, to raise more funds. And so we did pin mm-hmm. designs, we did signed, well, we did the film poster during the course of production and then mm-hmm. uh, printed that out, made it for sale, signed it. We did t-shirts, we did shot glass sets and all of that kind of like went back into the project to help, you know, we made emoji sets and downloadable things and stuff just to keep money, you know, flowing in because it costs more than $200,000, $250,000 to make this much animation. Like mm-hmm. if you look at, well, I mean, it depends on who's making it. A lot of anime will make things much cheaper, but I feel like that's not at all the gold standard for how how to treat artists. uh, Run a production the way that they do in Japan would involve paying people. uh, It it would have involved hurting people. And so we didn't want to do that. But like you look at it, Western studios will often spend, you know, a million dollars or so on an episode. And so, yeah, we we were working on the cheap. And so we had to just find ways to be to to pull more money in and be resourceful. And yeah, Mm -hmm. and I'm just glad that everybody working on this and especially Spike and Fable were just like very level headed about it and just had their shit together. And, you know, because it's it can something like this can so easily go awry if, you know, somebody has unrealistic expectations or just thinks this, this is supposed to go faster than this. Why isn't this going faster? Or this is this shouldn't cost this much. It's like it especially doesn't because much. Spike had not had experience like in the middle of animation production, so she was largely trusting me and like and and what I said was necessary, and I just greatly appreciate. Yeah, that. yeah. But having been through it, it's like it's so easy to see how a lot of these projects mm-hmm. fall apart. Yeah, but because it's hard, it's it's really hard. <laughs> People throw this word "scam" around a lot for like projects that genuinely just crumbled because of that happened. mismanagement or just somebody having just not an under- full yeah. understanding of what. It's not a scam. It's just that it's really difficult to make a movie like really it's it's honestly movie. kind of amazing anything yeah. like this ever comes together having worked both in games and on this it's like anytime you finish something it's like with, considering all the costs and the moving parts mm-hmm. and everything it's like it's incredible that this got done <laughs> yeah i was like if nothing else i want to finish this film we will have a finished film by the end of it in whatever condition it will be and i will make sure as best i can that it's going to be something that at least the crew could be proud of because i, I you know i wanted to be something that celebrated the efforts that they put into it and i glad they followed me on that and you know i just want to take what we've done here and and keep expanding on it and make all that effort like mean something for them like that it it translates into something for them it's not just like wow look at me i'm super famous or whatever it's like no i I really don't need that but i want their effort to be appreciated for what it is it's uh, it is a collaborative medium it takes a group of people to make something like this 
it's kind of amazing how this community came together to help fund this. Like the bulk mm-hmm. of it, like how are you mentioning when you were giving this pitch out and not a lot of people were taking it because they want to play it safe. Whenever mm-hmm. I'm seeing, especially animated media that is in theaters or on television or streaming services, it is very much more safe. But these projects I'm seeing on Kickstarters and these passion projects that are getting posted to YouTube, it's nice to see that there are other options to get these things made. It's not necessarily easy, certainly not especially with no, getting no. that funding good lord i thought i've told people who are like oh i want to do this too i'm like don't do it the way we did start really small like to start with like 30 seconds a minute two minutes five minutes Something. 10 minutes don't make your first project that you do like a 30 minute epic or like a tv series or anything like that because yeah your ears are still wet <laughs> You know, you got to learn. You got to learn. It's it's not just a baby bird does not just immediately fly this moment it's born. It has to build up. its. And it's not just the art. It's it's the everything else, too, that the business acumen that you have to have in the organizational and communication skills and Mm -hmm. the maturity to keep your head on straight when things get hairy. Yeah. 22 year old me would not have been a good director. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I could not have done this in my 20s. It would have been a disaster. No. I don't want to walk into a trap, but how old are you? <laughs> uh, I'm 35. Okay. Yeah. I'm 42. Oh, I'm baby. You don't sound 42. Well, thank you. <laughs> okay. I don't feel 42. Hey, 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 don't let him off the bat. What does a 42-year-old sound like? Like this. I don't know. Okay. okay. Um, you're, about to, I'm I'm you're about to be 40. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yes, what they're supposed I, to sound like. I came like. to you from the 1980s. <laughs> I am yes, Whoa. the eldest of the elder millennials, I think. So, yeah. And nice. I'm 27. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do this in my 20s either. Now I'm already yeah, no, no. 20s. Everybody likes are better. your 20s. No, I hate being my 20s. In which you like make all the mistakes, but you're an adult, so it sucks. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So we had this interesting question, because I don't want to steer too far away from the film itself, but since Like a Daisy has been a long-standing comic for years now, have you ever considered pushing the story forward or creating a sequel in a later historical timeline, such as like the Red Scare of the 50s? There certainly are a lot of time points in history that I'm fascinated by and would love to explore in you know, storytelling, but I feel like I have my hands more than full uh, with just Lackadaisy right. alone. It's It's been a solo project this entire time, and there's so much to making comics from the, you know, the writing standpoint and the art standpoint and the page layouts and like the graphic design, you know, sort of sensibilities that go into that and like treating each panel as kind of like in its own little illustration in a way that I, I haven't gotten bored with it. And so I'm not looking to move on. I really just want to, you know, bring that to its completion and that takes it long enough itself and I, I think I'm one of those creators who's like I'm okay with being like the one project person in my lifetime like this is my you know my the artistic love of my life I'm not really planning to divorce it and move on to like to some other love affair like I just want to make this I do want to tell like you know I, I do like doing side comics and things like that and I, I love like horror things and, and like little horror anthologies and stuff and maybe maybe some point in the future I'll do something like that just as a one-off thing or whatever but yeah I'm really just kind of committed to this right now so that's where I stand you can always make red scary MVs in your head when you're on the school bus. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I, I, I can I imagine the, the music video in my head, and that's enough for me. Sometimes yeah. I, I personally love our discussion. The, the AUs, like, you know, yeah, the, the Lack of Daisy 2020, where we imagine the characters in the present day instead, and like how that changes everything. Yeah, but also it doesn't. Lack of Daisy <laughs> in the 1980s. Yeah, would the Lack of Daisy team 
So you guys, would you guys ever in the future release a behind the scenes video, like a creative process behind the creation of the animated short? I mean, kind of like uh, special features. We are yeah. making a making of book, yeah. something we promised to the Kickstarter. Oh, that's so um, cool. I love those types of books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we are, yeah, in the process actually presently of, of outlining that. I've got somebody like enlisted to do the copywriting yeah. for it. The same writer who uh, we have doing the little blog cafe blog. Yep. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. He's been keeping our blog updated mm-hmm. this whole time. He's been here the entire time from the very beginning. Is my mm-hmm. my my wonderful partner, a very talented writer. Yeah, Clint's Clint's great. Yeah. yeah, he's the raccoon in the trash can, mm-hmm. along with the cat and the toothy bird. Oh, yeah. so yeah, we'll give a glimpse of what's going on. But you can also like uh, we mentioned the short documentary that Manu mm-hmm. Mercurial made. I love that. that. Yeah, it just surprised me with it. I'm like, what is this? Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea he was working on that. It's so well done, too. It is very well well produced and just entirely touching and yeah it's i'm just it's like what do you even say when somebody says that kind like just gives this to you and it's like here and it's like oh my god i know they yeah they hand you a documentary and like you changed my life thanks and it's like oh I was like, what? <laughs> yeah i uh, got a little teary-eyed watching that so <laughs> yeah. but yeah it does give you a glimpse into like what things were like on the work server and and what our mm-hmm. process was and how things went That's for the animators cool. and how animators shared information and worked together and yeah i just really loved seeing that because i feel i'm not in the animation industry my partner graduated in animation though and it seems that there's so much stress and i don't want to say like you know i don't even know how to word it us versus them in a way mm-hmm. on certain animation teams and i see it on a lot of documentaries about like dreamworks versus disney and how these two ceos fought for a while it's just you see well, a lot of cutthroat things in that's the, the higher ups though like the crew yeah. like a lot of us actually have worked at one or the other or both. We have friends there. Like it's not antagonistic on the ground. Like we're the ones celebrating each other. We're there, we're like the champions of the medium after all. And yeah, you know, it's just a shame that Disney that's don't the go, oh, fuck puss in boots. It's like we're not uh, we're not invested in that way. We just want to make cartoons. Yeah, you know? it's just a shame yeah. that that seems to be the public image because of those things. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that there's at least one more video out there that shows that hey, this isn't what it's like. Yeah. Creatives are here supporting each other, mm-hmm. and it yeah. happens. Yeah, a lot of the people on our production. I mean, they work on other projects, on uh, official television things, on other indie projects. You know, and so it's not like you know we don't it's... see ourselves as like in competition with each other. Yeah. It's, part of the same community this ecosystem of just everybody making cool stuff and contributing to it so if people just float between different projects and contribute in their own unique ways and i just that's one thing i love about it yeah i just i just want to make cartoons and i just want to watch more cool cartoons and facilitate whatever it takes to make that happen like you know and as best the way i can trying to shoot for that Imagine if you had to make this 3D. <laughs> so we all had to wear like 3D oh, glasses oh, to watch gosh. it. Oh, dude. God. No. No. If somebody wants to try, you know. You could go like old school 3D just, with like the blue and the red. Yeah. Just really lean into the gimmickry of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like these don't do anything. It's now it's just blue and red. It's like, that's a beautiful filter. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. It's so much more colorful now. <laughs> so it's like, why isn't the 3D working? Do you have any goals for furthering the story through the arts of animation, or are you primarily focusing your energy back to the webcomic after this? Yes. 
and yes. <laughs> oh, honey, your hands are going to be tied. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to stop sleeping from now on, I think. No, uh, yeah, we are definitely planning on moving forward with animation things. We weren't sure what kind of reception the pilot would get. We were kind of resigned to, well, it may very well just get a couple hundred thousand views overall and it, it kind of just go quiet after that and we'll just kind of have to resume, you know, normal life and know that we did the best we could. Uh, and, we, and at least we have this, like, solid piece of animation that we can all be proud of. But the response has been much bigger than that. And so we're looking for avenues to continue working on this and to make mm-hmm. more episodes and to, to yeah. make it we want we would love to make a full series of it. That's really our goal. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that that sustains the comic as well. It's not an opposite. Is that why it's called a pilot? Is because you guys yes. want to yes. see Yes, we had a big debate in fact. Okay. I had to convince everybody that we call it a pilot. And I had to like because Spike and Fable were not on board with that. We were calling it a short Oh, no, I was on was, board. What do you mean? You I told I, me I, no. I I, I I literally said that I think we should call it a pilot, and you were like no, uh, and you did that to no, me no, a couple no. times. Yeah, I had to I had to come in with like my speech prepared and convince you guys that pilot is what we call it. <laughs> I don't remember disagreeing. with Oh, you, you at did, all. you did, yeah. and I was like I was kind of surprised because I thought you might understand why I would want to do that. But yeah. like, there's a psychological factor to doing that, you know, both for us and for the people we show it to, and when we put it out there, and you know, what eyes land on it and go, oh well, they actually intend to make more. How is that going to happen? Exactly. That is the question. And that's what we are (laughs) trying to solve right now. You were correct. It's like um, sometimes like as a person in the industry, we can get our heads kind of like stuck in this idea of terminology. Well, we'd been we'd been calling it a short film for so long, but we knew yeah. when we were making it that's really not what it is. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't act like a short film, really. It, it has no. some elements of that, but it, it doesn't wrap itself up very neatly. It's not that self-contained. It's self-contained in that you can watch it without without having read the comic and get what the story you know, is you know, the basic mm-hmm. premises and everything, but you can't really like call it fodder for film festival stuff or something because it's so open-ended in that way that, you know, you would see it, what that a pilot episode would be. So yeah, if anybody wants to watch this, you're like, hey, they didn't fix the problems. And then it's like, no, they def- definitely did not. Yes, because it is not a short film. It doesn't behave like one. And and so, you know, I think we were just being a little sheepish about like, we were trying to be humble and say, yeah. oh, well, this is just all we're going to do. It's all, I know one's yeah, going to be interested more. That, yeah. And that was my mentality even going into this because I didn't really think anyone would be that interested. But now I feel like I, the one thing I've learned over the course of this production is like, you know, I, I couldn't sit around and just wish that that someone would come along and be like, hey, I like your webcomic. We should make animation out of it. I had to go and get that. And you just got to like put it out into the universe what you want to do and stop being embarrassed and shy about it and, and worry about, you know, you can still be humble and modest. You don't have to be, you know, at the core yeah. of it, but you, you don't have to be humble and modest about what you really fully intend to do because then you're just keeping it a secret. No one's going to look at you and go, I think what you really want is this. And so I'm going to give that to you. Like you really got to be the assertive party in your, in your own advocate. And um, so I decided at the end of, as we were wrapping things up, I was like, I was going to make this pitch to, to Fable and Spike and be like, listen, I think we call it a pilot because like we didn't want to make more, right? We know it might, it might not get much of a reception and maybe it'll just be that'll be all there is. There's just a pilot that happens to a lot of shows that are proposed and, you know, the pilot gets made and that's it. I remember when you were making, where you were talking about, we need to call it a pilot. I just remember smiling really broadly because I was like, Oh, because I thought for sure you were still in disagreement with me when I, no, no, not at all. Not at all. I was happy. I was like happy that you asserted yourself and that you were like, I want to say that this is a pilot. I want to put it front and center. I want people to know we intend to do more to like, to just like be front and center about that. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, so 
happy to hear you talk like that because mm-hmm. I, I know that as a as a creator also it's like the desire to like you know put your head down and, and like not imagine like anything bigger just because you're afraid of what will happen if you put that wish out into the universe like you're gonna get made fun of or something or it'll definitely not happen but to just stay proudly yes. out there this is what I want. Yes. It does admittedly put us in the hot seat a bit because oh, it does. people are already messaging <laughs> yeah. us going, when's the next episode? When next episode? It's like the, one of the comments I like, I, I screenshotted it and posted on the server because I just thought it was funny. It was like, just cut to the chase. When next episode? I'm like, um. I love that. And like the face that went with it was perfect too. It was just like, oh. it's like I, I mean, there is a number of really funny comments that people lit uh, where I just will like screenshot and be like, I'm keeping this one. <laughs> <laughs> rule number one That's is awesome. don't read the comics comments but we all do read the comments i love reading the comments i i i'm a masochist what can i say it goes with the territory of being an animator yeah <laughs> revealing being our weakness we do read the comments yeah. you can't yeah, yeah. I think everybody yeah. does, even when they say tired of it eventually. But, I do. Um, and I'm already eager to get on to the next thing. Like I, I finally have some brain juice uh, starting to burble back up after three years of effort. We, we exhausted ourselves. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'm right now this entire time I've actually been massaging my hands because they are very, all the typing I've been doing is just like, ugh, mm-hmm. it's a lot. Stretch, stretch, yep. stretch. I'm stretching so much. I have gone through so many joints. You have no idea. It's by the way, for anybody who asks, it does not inspire your creativity at all. I, I just use it so I can stretch without my entire body clenching up. This is my medicine. It's pain um, relief. Yeah. It's pain relief. You know? Yeah. But yeah, we, we still don't know quite what's in store yet. We will just like, if we get to make a series that's ideal, that's you know, that'd be amazing and, and what we really do want to do. But we don't know if that's in the cards. We will just conform what we are able to move forward with to the resources we can gather. So mm-hmm. if we make a full series, okay. If we make a, a few like five minute shorts following this, okay. Yeah. Uh, because that's all we can fund. You know, it's, it's like. But that would still would be awesome. Like I, yeah. I'm, I'm really eager to try just short and not yeah. doesn't have to just kind of determine we're moving forward one way or the other. So yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, another. I'm going to find you i'm gonna get you get you sorry you said it you said it i'm just like automatically start singing it's a good song to listen to while you're working and yeah heck yeah motivation i can't i always associate that song with the rugrats movie oh (laughs) i never saw it thank goodness oh my god now that's a weird movie yeah (laughs) watching that i was just like something about this makes me so uncomfortable i think it was the sequence with the babies in the baby room and they're they all have like deep upsettingly deep where's the freaking baby room the baby room at the beginning where they're singing <laughs> about like their poopy yeah. diapers and stuff i'm like Ugh. what yeah. <laughs> no, remember that no, no i do no. i was referencing akira and i think it oh. was too vague <laughs> it just came to my mind immediately That's so funny <laughs> Well, how can our listeners show their support for you and your team behind Lackadaisy? I mean, honestly, um, indie projects like this really live or die by word of mouth. So, you know, if you just watch it and then share the link or say something about it or put a like on it or a comment that like, honestly, does help the YouTube algorithm go, oh, people like this. So yeah, people think it it shares it with more people. But one person it's sharing with three people means that if they share it with three people and they share it with three people, it, it gets bigger. And if you are in Discord servers with friends and you think that there's some people that might like it there, then, you know, link it to them. Because even if it gets recommended to them on YouTube, that doesn't mean they'll click because YouTube recommends you a lot of things. And 
they might go 27 minutes. I don't know about that. But if your friend says, hey, you might like this, watch it. You're probably going to believe your friend more so than YouTube's robot. So yeah, friends of yours who you're like, I think they, they like cars and cats and maybe they like guns and, and maybe they like uh, the 1920s stuff or maybe they're just really into furries. I can't imagine your audience would be into that. Um, no. It just but- see if they, they might want to give it a watch. And, furries. And react. Oh. I feel like you'll get a kick out of this. I actually showed the short to my club mm-hmm. at work, and they had they were like, "Oh, it's cats with guns." I like this. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah. have you seen the, my pitch? There we have pitch. the, the yeah. pitch contains that exact joke. It's like, yeah, it's like, like, so it's like graders, just like ooh, a, a cat standing upright in a suit with a gun. And that's, I know that's for a fact, at least three of them are furries, so they yeah. took to it immediately. <laughs> that's like your pitch. That's literally what you say to the people that are like, it's cats with guns. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> and, and little suits. Isn't that a gorilla song? Kids with guns. Kids no, with guns. I know. It was a joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I say we remix it to cats with guns, though. Yeah. Yeah. Let me get uh, let me get those guys up on the line. I'm sure I can find a way to get in touch. Uh. <laughs> But yeah, that's our story. So, well, I think as soon as you log off from this podcast, you should go to bed. <laughs> but well, that would be nice. But I've got, uh, I've got, I've got lots of work to do. To do. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, I have to answer DMs. Like I had to put my notifs on my phone Jeez. on on silence because I am flooded with stuff. So. Yeah, we've been. And sick. People said after the short was done, they're like, "Oh, now you can finally rest." I was like, "Ha ha!" <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. What a good joke. And no yeah. days off. No days off. <laughs> no days off. <laughs> In a long, long time. No. But, uh, you know. You'll get there. We're liking Hopefully. what we're doing. It's just it's just kind of like a, a health concern at a certain point where you're like, yeah. if I don't, I will be injuring myself. So Yeah, I just had a, I've been talking with the team, like doing a postmortem on our pipeline and process and going like, okay, what do we need to do to make this sustainable? The sustainability is important. And we've talked about adding more support staff and, you know, seeing what more tech we can invest in and what kind of pay raises we could give to people so that they can just work on this and not worry about juggling a bunch of other stuff, which creates a lot of stress. And like, it it basically comes down to money, like with more funding, we are able to make more. We already have the team, we have the place, we have like so much legwork already done and we know exactly how to improve on what we have to make it like efficient and faster and streamlined and what's more better for our crew, like better working conditions, better pay. And we mm-hmm. want to provide that because we asked a lot of people over the last uh, three years to give us everything they got. And I didn't even necessarily demand that of them. They just believed in it. They, it. they believed they in it and, and gave that. that and we're yeah. eternally but grateful I, for that. I <laughs> don't want to then take my dedication. Yeah, and and turn it into well now this is how we operate. You can't forever. take that dedication and then exploit it. You have to give them what they they are owed yeah. for their skills and the time they spend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, so we want yeah. we don't want to be another one of those problem areas in the creative industries that mm-hmm. just treat artists like disposable. You use them up, you throw them out, and someone else comes in and replaces them. And kudos, yeah. like a scrungy stray cat that you know nobody. <laughs> we want to cherish our scrunkly alley cats. We yes, yes. <laughs> Give them the good wet food, you know. Yeah, good wet food. You know, warm blanket, spay neuter. You know, keep indoors. Don't let eat wild. Get birds. them vaccinated. Kind of yeah. Get vaccinated. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Cat tree. What yeah. are we talking about? I don't know. Artists, <laughs> I think. Animation team. <laughs> Sparrow, do you want to take us out? 
Oh, sure thing. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on to this interview. I know you have a lot on your plate. I hope this was at least, while it is still work, a fun bit of work. It was. Um, it was. I know I oh, had yeah. A- yeah, yeah. I'm just like, oh, sweet, a furry podcast because, you know. <laughs> have you guys not been interviewed by furry podcasts yet? Not really. Sort of, we? We're, we're the first like, one. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. I'm like I haven't been involved in We've like, been getting years, but, like yeah. animation magazines and, and mm-hmm. like Toon Boom and, and things like that want to interview mm-hmm. us. But uh, yeah, really haven't had a lot of like outreach from furry podcasts. Uh, yeah. Hey, guys, have you heard of Lackadaisy Cats? For yeah. Community? yeah. <laughs> <This little thing. laughs> we're more of like an art based like. We, we initially started off as fur media and now we're straight from the muzzle. And so we've always had like this art background mm-hmm. to ourselves. And so when it comes to like interviewing animators or artists, we really, really get excited because it's something that's in our wheelhouse mm-hmm. of interviewing. Oh, yeah. That, that's that's what I think of when I think of the furry community. It's yeah. a bunch of folks are just making things. A, self, a self-made yeah. fandom of, of yeah. stuff that people have made themselves. And that's really what i love about it it's like you can go to a comic convention like comic-con or WonderCon or any of the big ones and it's really become so much more about the ip the big ips and the the movie stars who show up and and you just kind of feel lost in all that and devalued and then you go to a furry con and it's like it's all about the creators supporting the other creators and the people coming and wanting to support the creators because they make the stuff that makes up the fandom so it's just so much more homegrown and like just wholesome in that way and supportive of artists and independent creators and yeah that's just such a different environment so i really like yeah my hats off to furries because lackadaisy really would not have gotten probably anywhere like my patreon supporters probably a lot of furries you know have been just like super patient with us throughout the course of production we tried to share as much as of what we were doing with them as possible behind the scenes and you know make it worth their while but yeah i really like owe a lot to the the furry community for making this possible so Mm -hmm. thank you thank you guys you guys are amazing yeah thanks for coming on yeah, thanks for having us. Also, you yeah. should interview the Fox and Space guy. Interview the Fox and Space guy. Oh, if there's one thing I regret, it's that we came out like not that long after he released a 40-minute cartoon, like done over the course of seven years, uh, with a very what? tiny crew. It was like largely by himself. And like then we came out and like all conversation about that just sort of evaporated. And I was like, no, I love that guy's work. You gotta totally check out Fox and Space, like, especially if you like retro cartoons. Man, his stuff is retro. Very retro stuff. Yeah, it, it really just deserves nights. more more views than it than it currently has, yeah, and uh, more love and more mm-hmm. like kudos to someone who just pulled off their own idea, like mm-hmm. almost by themselves. I mean, they they certainly had you know voice actor help and probably well, sound reach out to things, them. And, but yeah, yeah it's, it's really incredible. YouTube, it's really incredible. But we know how how hard it is to make animation, and we had a crew of 170 people and a budget. And this guy, I don't think, had anything near that, and he still managed yeah, to make something very cool. So. Patreon. That's yeah. what he had. That yeah. Was it. So. Yeah. So yeah. Just yeah. It's just like off. if you if you like what we did, like absolutely. Like I I always advise people if you like what we did, like I want support, of course. But also, did you know that your two dollars goes a long way on Patreon for any given artist? Like that could be the difference between a gross. Yeah. Or- honestly, like a, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't give more. And it's like, no, no. Listen, like the one and two dollar stuff is like the backbone of it. Like mm-hmm. really, like it's so much better to have you know $21 supporters than $120 supporters because if that $20 supporter has something happen and they have to go away you know and they have to like you know they have to rework their budget and they can't support you anymore that hurts but if it's just a, a dollar 
it's like, okay, I can keep going. You know, it's like that small support, like really, really helps. And it adds up and it, it really keeps a lot of, a lot of independent artists afloat. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah anyway, I, we're kind of trailing off into like, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. you're totally fine. Yeah. No, you're talking about. If you need I, to I edit any of this out, by like, all oh means, God. like, yeah, like, no, no, no feelings hurt if you guys want to edit this down. <laughs> so well, we'll be sure to put y'all's Patreon in our description. Also, are there any other links you want in there? Blackadaisy.com, ironcircus.com, fablepaint.com. Yeah, I have a right. live parrot cam of my aviary. It's it's down. In- <gasps> yeah, yeah. It might yes. be down uh, by the time your viewers uh, watch it because I need to clean it up a little bit. There was a lot of rain in California recently, but it will be coming back up. And so I have a live webcam of them where you can just like watch my my parrots doing their parrot things. And uh, and yeah, I'll be uh, eventually doing streams of um, my own work as well uh, through the same space. So. Yeah. Oh, the coop cam's offline. I'm yeah, it's it's offline right now. Uh, it will be back. It will be back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can put the uh, the URLs to those in the chat if that's useful to you. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. And our fans here, if you guys ever have questions regarding animation or you want us to find animators to bring onto our show, you know where to reach us, which is at talktothemuzzle at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at from the muzzle or find us on Telegram and chat with us in our little group chat. I think that's it, really. Anything else? No. Sparrow? I think we're good to go. Alrighty. Well, special thanks. Thank you so much for coming out. I know you guys have been really busy and I'm just... Over over the moon, grateful that you guys could find time to come on so we can interview you all. Yeah, no, it was was a nice a nice break to just come and chat with some some cool people. So about yay, thank you. (laughs) I'm cool. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I know I'm cool. (laughs) Well, thanks for everyone for listening, and we'll see you guys on our next episode. All right, see ya. Bye bye. Bye.